product-led growth family. I'm your new co-host, Maya Voyet. Working as a growth expert myself, my mission is to explore the latest trends in the industry and share them with you so you can always be on the top of your game. My first guest will talk about how to create a competitive edge on LinkedIn and other social media. This episode is super relevant for all of you who would like to step up your content creation game. Chris Smith is a Melbourne-based expert who used to work in marketing and PR for computer-enhancing giants such as Corsair and Thermaltake. Now, he's a founder and CEO of Big Esports, a consulting firm that helps companies find their authentic voice and set up the right amplifiers to reach their audiences. And to be honest, I'm obsessed with his LinkedIn. He's launching podcasts and creates wonderful carousels for his ever-growing currently 24K followerships. And he's a big expert in the gaming and esports industry. Chris, welcome to the Product Lab Podcast. So good to have you here. Thanks. Happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, let's start off with very first question, which is kind of a warm-up. So... How did your passion start it? How did you build this niche audience that was suddenly no longer that niche? Sure. I guess, I, you know, I started the same way that, that most people did. Like I started really getting into esports around high school time, thinking like probably 2004-ish, maybe starting from around there. And most people who've been in esports for as long as I have started off wanting to be a player and wanting to get better. You know, you'll notice that a lot of the people who work at these higher positions these days within companies have their own startups, were semi-professional players themselves, they were pro players, or maybe they were just wanting to go pro and they didn't understand yet that their love for the space meant more than just being a player. So, and that, that's exactly what it is for me. You know, I was playing a game called Battlefield 2 way too much during my high school years. Oh, that was and, a shooting game. Yeah, yeah. First-person shooter game, yeah. And I was wanting to get better at it and thinking... Well, I want to prove I'm the best player. How do I prove I'm the best player? I can play in public matches, but I want to become so much more than that. And, you know, that kind of blossomed into, you could say a career, but I won zero dollars in those days out of playing that. But, you know, playing in some of the best teams in Australia for that game, you know, running home from school, trying to train as much as I can, convincing my parents to let me stay up past my bedtime to to play the game. And that, you know, blossomed into becoming a semi-professional player later in, in CSGO, but more so understanding after a while that, hey, not everything's just about being a player. There's actually more that you can do within the esports and gaming market and developing from there. I mean, I just had a literally had a call right before we recorded this podcast with the CEO of Dexoto, who's, you know, I would say probably the biggest crossover between esports and lifestyle influencer website in the world. And he was a professional Halo and Gears of War player in the UK. And he was telling me he was the first ever UK team to reach pro status at MLG, which was a US tournament. So, you know, a lot of us who've been around for a long time, like Josh from Texoto or myself, really started off as a, as a player just for that pure passion for wanting to get better at a game. That sounds like my cousin's dreams right now. So he's totally into gaming and I will totally send him this because, uh, yeah, like it's easier than yeah. ever to empower young people. And this is such a wonderful field, which is not discriminatory towards young people. So the skill matters. It's not as if you needed a college to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, some of the craziest examples would be, you know, the Australian Open Tennis, which is on right now in Australia. Last year, so just before COVID happened, and the year before that, they had a Fortnite tournament there. Last year, the solo Fortnite tournament, which was 
I believe a, a couple hundred thousand USD prize pool as a whole was won by a 14 year old who'd never played at a live tournament in his life. And he was from Australia without any esports team he was signed to. And he beat players that were flown over from China in FPX for a team called FPX Wolves. He beat the person who came, I think it was second or third at the Fortnite World Cup a year or two before that, Benji Fishy, who got flown over from the UK. He beat FaZe Clan team members who were flown over from the US. So these are kids who are being paid, you know, sometimes five to 20,000 per month salary. And this 14, 15 year old kid flew down. His name was Brezzo. That's his gaming name. He flew down for Brisbane because he qualified for the tournament and he beat them all. And you could tell, you know, he was just in another world. He was a bit of a quiet kid, didn't say a single thing on stage, but of course not. Like, what do you say when you're 14, 15 and you just won more money probably than both your parents make in a year in their jobs in, in a single Fortnite tournament against your heroes, against your idols on a massive stage at the Australian Open? It's crazy. My God, like this is such an inspiring story and it's such a nice kickoff because right now I have to go into the nitty gritty and ask <laughs> you, so you are like, a gaming enthusiast, an esports enthusiast, and you're a founder yourself, and you are like still so active on social media. And I hear this excuse, like, I don't have time to publish all the time. So would you share with the listeners of this podcast who are extremely busy individuals and professionals, how can you do it? Do you have a system? Yeah, I guess it's like a lot of other things, right? Like I still play games. And I consider that almost part of my job is to stay relevant with the market. And also I'm quite prolific with going to the gym and also doing jiu-jitsu. And all of those things people say, I don't have time to do. They say, I don't have time to go to the gym. I don't have time to play games anymore, even though I work in the industry and I don't have time to post on social. And honestly, I mean, the easiest thing to say straight up is I just don't accept it because everyone has time. So usually people will build, you know, some sort of, whether you plan to or not, you've got some sort of routine. Most people will generally do some form of emails in the morning, whenever they get to the office or they're at home, you know, working throughout the COVID period, they'll make a coffee, quite often they'll sit down and then do some emails. Well, that's the perfect time to then do something on social media. The way that I started on LinkedIn, for example, like you said in the intro, I have quite a few followers on there is literally, I would see an article and I would read an article and go, hey, that gave me some good info that helped me. I would simply just share that article on LinkedIn because I thought, hey, if it meant something to me, if it helped me, I would just share it for someone else. And that's literally how I started. And that takes five seconds to do that. You know how, and you have to think about, I don't want to get too self-helpy, but there are so many books and self-help people out there that you can listen to that, that just talk about how much time per day is, is wasted scrolling through Instagram. I deleted Twitter off my phone, for example, because I found I was just scrolling through that way too much. I'm probably going to delete Reddit off my phone because I keep scrolling through that way too much now, especially on the RMMA subreddit. I'm, I'm a big UFC fan. So part of that is for me too, just about understanding what's valuable and what's important to me. And LinkedIn has become so important that in the past, it's 75% or more of our clients have come directly from inbounds through LinkedIn. And right now, it's probably not 75% in number, but it's 75 to 80% in revenue is coming directly through LinkedIn to us. I mean, our investors came to us through LinkedIn, our partnership with Playside Studios, who listed on the ASX, uh, I believe in December last year, they're a games development company, met them through LinkedIn. And every single one of our biggest three clients right now yeah, I think I think the biggest three or, or at least two of the biggest three are also directly through LinkedIn. And these are inbounds of people reaching out to me and saying, Chris, I see your posts, I see your content, you're providing value. I'd like to talk to you about investment, doing work with us, consulting, et cetera, et cetera. 
I love where you finished because like usually we hear like what is my reach, what is the number of followers, like this vanity top of the funnel metrics, but you went right away and hit the jackpot by saying 80% of my business comes out of this. So it makes sense to do it. That was extremely powerful and awesome. And tell me one more thing uh, down this line. So you said that you were just like, randomly sharing articles or did you kind of had like a benchmark how many articles do you want to share a week how did you get into the habit of posting so every social media platform has in quotation marks rules right so when facebook was early the rules were you post twice per day once in the morning to midday when people are bored or having their second coffee at work and then once in the afternoon when the kids are off school and maybe you know the people who are working are, are probably bored again at, at four o'clock before they clock off as we I don't know if you say that other countries, say that in Australia, before you clock off, you know, you might be checking social again or say after dinner time when people finish their dinner and, and they're looking at social media. The rule for Twitter is post whenever. The rule for Instagram for a long time was one high quality post per week and no more. And the rule for LinkedIn was one post probably every two months and only add people you've ever worked with and then try to endorse other people. But what I found is that when you start to throw those rules out of the window, then you start to become much more productive. You see people on Instagram that are posting high quality photos every day and no stories. You see people on Instagram that post no pictures ever, maybe once every six to eight months, but they post 30 plus stories per day. And I found that with LinkedIn. So at the start, I would literally try to follow a rule where I would share one article every day or two or three. But I remember I got to one point where we started creating a little bit of content, just amateurish style content. I started posting a bit more. And I remember, I think I posted twice in that one day and I thought, oh, I can't post again. Like there's this rule. And I went, screw it. This third article is awesome. So I shared a third one and then I shared a fourth one and it was the biggest day I'd had up until that point. So when you throw those rules out the window, just follow, like what I said before. I mean, it, another another example for you is we're helping a professional football player launch into becoming a streamer. So his name is Blaise Matweedy. He won the World Cup, the, the last World Cup with France as a player there. and you know, he's asking a lot of questions. When do I post? How often do I stream? What do I put in the post, et cetera, et cetera, which is acceptable because he's new to it. He's nervous. He doesn't want to screw up. But I'm saying, don't ask any of these questions. Just do what you want. Just post when you feel like it, play when you feel like it, do what you feel like. And then you can discover after that what you want to do because it's it's so mechanical. It's like uh, I do jiu-jitsu, which is a grappling sport. And if you're trying to think all the time about mechanically what to do, you know, if, imagine trying to think exactly when you're walking. I have to bend my knee, then my ankle, and then my toes have to touch the ground. You're not going to be able to walk very well. So I like to learn by doing. And that's what I've done over the period of time. And it's worked out for us. But if all else fails, just copy what other people are doing. Go and look at somebody who's got a lot of followers. Have a look what they post when they post because no one's got an original idea. It's an algorithm after all. So just what they do and put your own little bit of a spin on it. That was brilliant. And I just have to like hold a little bit and touch down on two important things that you said. So there are kind of two stages, right? So first, same as when you are exercising, you just get to get yourself in a habit. So applicable advice that you gave here is go and analyze profiles that are doing well and set mm-hmm. yourself like a mini benchmark as if hit the gym three times a week, maybe post like once a week or two times a week on LinkedIn if you want to. And then yeah. once you get into this habit, it's awesome to break the rules and this is how you will differentiate. Was that it? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Put your own kind of flair on things, you know, like we pride ourselves today because I've got an amazing team behind me in creating high quality, consistent content. And that's definitely a gap for anyone else who's listening right now. If you have some sort of creative team, the 
general quality of content on LinkedIn is extremely poor. 99% of posts are people fake engagement baiting. They're just, you know, resharing and resharing and resharing the same articles. People are trying to share memes and random videos and pictures and things these days. But if you create any form of custom content that has any form of quality of work, and I don't mean anything that's amazing. It doesn't have to be an amazing design, but if there's a little bit of effort put into it, it'll actually go a long, long way. So we did this. We're releasing a series of content. We released exactly the same series of content with about two to three X the quality and our viewership went up, you know, 150% Mm. just based on the better quality. And now because Adam Bax, who's one of my right-hand man and one of our employees here who does a lot of the creative work, he's getting better over this period of time as well. And you can see the difference in the quality. And now we're getting, you know, consistent messages inbounds from people and comments with people directly just talking about how much they like what the content looks like. And, you know, every engagement is a good piece of engagement. So it uh, works out well for us. Yeah, that's how we got in touch too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got in touch through LinkedIn. So there you go. <laughs> and I was like so drawn to this content. But hey, curious, look, not everybody is like into super awesome gaming and esports industry. There are people who do accounting softwares or tax calculating softwares. Does the logic that you are explaining also applies to them? Would you be daring enough to say that you can spice up like whatever field there is or are just like there industries that you personally wouldn't bother with? Yeah, I think it comes down to the person, right? Like a lot of people ask me, Chris, you know all these YouTubers and streamers who make literally millions of dollars a year, why don't you do that? And I say, well, I don't have the mind, I don't have the eye for that. Like I don't have the eye for what fashion to wear. I've never been a fashionable guy. I don't have the eye for how to shoot good camera angles and create good content that's appealing to a B2C audience. Anywhere near as much as I'm good at building partnerships or communicating things in a B2B type audience in say layman's terms or almost like acting like a translator between the gaming market and the professional market. So not everyone can do it, but what I find is that it's so easy for me to write copy for my LinkedIn posts where some of my employees who are fantastic at B2C marketing, they're not good at it at all. It just doesn't tick with them. I don't know exactly what that is, but for me, it's something really easy. So I think you can, it's about finding the story. It's like with any copy, it's about finding the story. So I love to post old pictures of esports in 2012, but with meaning, it's not just, hey, look at how cool I was. I was not cool at all playing in a tournament for $400 in 2012, you know, in a dingy internet cafe. It's more about look, here's the story behind that. Here's where esports has come to. I mean, a direct example, I posted a picture where I managed a professional team that flew from New Zealand to Queensland here in Australia to play in 2012. It was like a $2,000 prize pool tournament. But the story was that esports was so uncool in that day that one of the guys who was the best performing on the team told his friends he was on a family holiday and asked not to be tagged in any photos on Facebook because he didn't want anyone to know at school that he was coming over as a nerd to play video games. So, you know, not all the stories could be that cool, but it's just finding that right way. And you know, the other thing that seems to nobody seems to do is when you get a new client, tell people. So we've got just base, sometimes we'll post a carousel. A lot of the other times we'll just post a graphic that says, hey, big esports has signed on, like when we signed on the Warriors International to do some work with them. They're a company supported by Drive by DraftKings, and we've been developing some massive projects for them in a B2B space. We just released a graphic that said, hey, we signed on with these guys, we're doing some fantastic work. And that got us more work. Because people will say, okay, they're working with a company that's invested in by DraftKings. Well, they must be good. You know, we've 
I had other ones before where I've posted a case study of a campaign that I've done, which was a very boring influencer campaign. We brought one ad roll video, but it overperformed by 300%. And I got another contract off that. A guy sent me a message and said, hey, I didn't know you guys had influencer marketing. We're looking for some. Here's a contract. You know, here's another 10K, 20K contract. Oh, fantastic. So that, you know, to boil that down into two, in, I guess, into a couple of things is not everyone can do it. It's about finding the story. But what everyone, literally everyone can do is just announce when you get a new client. Because if you look at, it must be a psychology thing, but if you look at your friends and family on Facebook, whenever anybody announces they have a new job, even if they're pushing trolleys at a shopping center, that post will get like 10x the likes of no matter whatever other post. You know, it's birthdays, it's weddings, engagements, and it's new jobs. I don't know what it is. It's something psychological, but if you want a lot of people to engage with you and give you grats and maybe get some more work out of it, literally just post about when you win a client or you do a good job with a client. Mm, right now, the age gap between us became very obvious because all I see in Facebook are baby pictures. But apparently, <laughs> you are a little younger, Demo. <laughs> but anyway, getting, getting into that territory. All right, territory. all right. Yeah. There is no way back when that happens. So that will be your no, life for the next ten that. years. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, this was like on spot, totally awesome tips on how to get our engine started. And when you were describing it, you mentioned one more thing that was extremely interesting to me, and I bet it is interesting to the audience as well. B2B influencers. Are there such things as B2B influencers, who they are and how to find them? That was loaded. Yeah, sure. So yeah, there is such a thing as B2B influencers, but it's an extremely infant market right now, which is kind of crazy to me to think. Like, Think about the amount of money that brands spend on sponsoring conferences just to say, just to get free tickets to a conference. Think about how much money brands spend on winning fake awards. Think about how much money brands spend on these other kind of B2B type campaigns. There's a lot of those, right? And sometimes it's spending money on an award to say that you've won it so then you can win more clients. You know, we've seen that a lot too. So we at Big Esports have done a bunch of B2B campaigns last year, which were content-based things. I mean, Obviously, the holy grail or the top of the line is Gary V, and everybody's seen him do some B2B campaigns. He had his own line of shoes coming out and a few other things as well. But on our level, because we create engaging content, we've done a bunch of campaigns. So one of our clients is Topolti. They are, just like you were saying, we have the same problem. They're a very boring company. They're fantastic and in service and they're huge. They're a $1.5 billion company, but they do payment processing. That is not sexy in any way whatsoever, is, you know, sending out payment. So with that, what we did was a content series across multiple pieces. We appeared on one of their webinars, which meant that I brought some of my audience to sign up to their website so they could gather some emails and also they could put themselves as a kind of an expert and knowledgeable in that space. They brought me and they brought one of their other gaming related clients in. We created our own carousel type content for them as well, telling a story. So that's actually our best performing carousel of all time, which is titled The Biggest Companies You Never Heard Of. So Topolti headlined that as a sponsored brand because they're a $1.5 billion company and literally never heard of them before, but they're obviously huge and they work with huge clients like Roblox, which is worth tens of billions of dollars. And we include some other companies. And then also we, we did some sponsored videos with me talking just like this and, and also some sponsored text posts as well. We did some work with them. We did some work with an Indian VC that launched an esports tournament, just helping people to understand the value of Indian esports. And it's one of the next regions to watch. We did some other content with an influencer-based company that does campaign tracking and reporting to try to expose them to more potential clients to sign up to do some influencer campaigns through. And then we've got another few ones coming up. We had another couple of ones last year and a few more coming up this year as well. So for us, it's, it's content-based, but 
you know, you see that going into some extras as well. We've done a little bit of B2B stuff in the past, even with the PC retailer. And part of that was because, you know, they have my allegiance for life. Like the day after I quit my last job to go full-time, they took me out for dinner. They said, we want to sponsor you straight away. So, you know, I'm no matter how big or small I get in the future, I'm always going to pay dividends to PLE computers. I'm always going to get them, you know, as much support as I can because they supported me literally from day one, sitting on a chair that I bought from them actually with my own cash. So you can see like supporting, it goes around in circles, right? So yeah, B2B influencers definitely are a trend that's coming more. And I think it should come on harder and stronger than what it is. As for like, where do you find them? It's the same as anything really, you know, an Instagram influencer is quite often a person who has 50,000 plus followers. LinkedIn is obviously on a smaller scale, but it's B2B. So you're reaching people who have higher purchasing power. So instead of trying to sell 99 or like, instead of trying to sell like a $60 pair of leggings to my girlfriend who goes to the gym all the time, I'm potentially trying to sell a $2,000 a month subscription service to a SaaS company. And looking at the people who follow me on LinkedIn, it tells you who's viewing your posts and what their job titles are. The people who are following me are executive directors, their founders, their business development, their marketing. So these are the type of people that are going to make those purchasing decisions on a top level laser jet printer, on what financial tracking service to go for, on which bank to open a business bank account with. I had no idea when I went to open my first one for my first company and you know what accountant to go with, what lawyer to go with, et cetera, et cetera. So these kind of companies should start advertising more in the B2B space. Wow. <laughs> Another mic dropping moment from you, Chris. <laughs> That's amazing. I've thought about that one a lot. Can you tell? <laughs> yeah. It was pretty <laughs> evident. Sorry to like break this down, but yeah, it was. <laughs> you prepared well for this one. Anyways, yeah. uh, there is one thing that I love about your LinkedIn and it's supremely awesome, especially for us who are, I won't say lazy. I would just prefer to use the word busy. So content repurposing. Oh my God. So you guys mm. are recording podcasts and you are interviewing a bunch of guests yourself. In addition to that, you also are sharing like snippets of voice recordings from podcasts. I don't know if video is being shared a lot, but could you mm -hmm. tell us how this podcasting activity of yours fits your social media activities throughout the week or months? Yeah, sure. I guess it's another Gary Vee tip, I guess. It's, it's something one of my old employees, Nick Geronimo, talked about a lot, which is, you know, trying to be efficient. So recording one piece of content and then cutting it up as many ways as possible. I mean, we're doing exactly the same thing with Blaze Matweedy, who I talked about before, the football player. We're trying to get him to do one Twitch stream because he's a busy guy. He's got a lot of kids, another one on the way. He plays football professionally in the US and he's between, you know, he's brand new to Miami. So he's flying back to the US a lot. He's got family and friends to look after as well. So we're trying to get him to record one Twitch stream and then cut that up into social clips, cut that up into longer form edited YouTube videos as well, cut that up into singular photos, as many different ways as possible. Because like you said, a lot of us are busy, right? So you only want to have to do say one podcast with someone else, but you could cut that up into six different video clips. I'm sure there's at least, you know, four or five different clips from what we've talked about right now with some with my face, some with your face that you could repurpose and then post. So that's, if you want to post say you know, three times per week, like you mentioned before, for someone who's new, you could do one video per week. You could literally one podcast and that's three to four weeks of content just from one single podcast. You can do other things as well, like, you know, cutting out the pictures. So I did an interview on Ticker TV, which is like a digital TV station here. And then we just took some screenshots from that. And that was something that we could post up as well. And that's one of our best performing posts on my Facebook in the past year. It's literally just a photo of me just doing an interview on TV because people like to 
for some reason as well, people love to like that. I don't know. I'll add that to the list along with with weddings, children, engagements, and new jobs is also appearances on, on TV. No matter how big or small, that people seem to love that. So yeah, definitely repurposing content is fantastic, but there's always diminishing returns, I guess, from that. And what we found is that we were cutting too many clips from a podcast. So we at one stage were doing about five clips from a single podcast and then releasing them too quickly after one another. And I think people just stopped caring. I think some people were like, well, I've already listened to that. I just don't want to do that anymore. And probably it was some of the way we were writing it with our copy. I was using a VA to post that. Who knows? Sometimes, a lot of the time, actually, social media is just a guessing game. You've got to fail your way to, to what you think is success and then the algorithm changes and you've got to change again. So yeah, once you get past the core fundamentals of simply just post, then it becomes exponentially confusing after that. Right. So while you were talking, I took out my cell phone and I took a couple of pictures so I can publish a story that we are recording. That landed well. <laughs> the other thing. <laughs> exactly. Quick learner. Quick learner. <laughs> totally. Totally. Didn't yes. want to interrupt you with a screenshot sound, you know? So the other thing that really, really, really stayed with me from this one is the analytics part of post. Uh, you were very honest about you having to like lower the frequency of let's say, consistent posting the podcasting, so the podcast clips. So it's important to just like observe what works and what doesn't work. So how do you go about observing the analytics for your posts? How do you make these informed decisions? Yeah, I guess first off, I feel it's very important to be super open, especially in this early stage of LinkedIn with other people. This is what I find YouTubers don't do enough. They don't talk to each other about what thumbnails to set. They don't talk about what titles work better, what hashtags work better. They keep some things close to their chest. But I'm always trying to give away my data as much as possible throughout LinkedIn to to show other people like, hey, look, here's the reach and exposure and, and et cetera that I provide. Here's how many times I post, what works for you. So we've got a, you know, I've built a LinkedIn engagement pod very recently, for example, where we're sharing each other's posts and commenting and critiquing and and also engaging on other people's posts as well. But it's meant to be a, a thing in there where we can all talk about, you know, what performs well for us. And so far, the five people we have in there who are highly curated, we all create very different types of content. You know, there's Erin Ashley Simon in there who does very news anchor style content. She's very heavy on diversity and inclusion. You know, she's doing a lot of things about that, but also she does a lot of B2C style content. There's other people like Chris Kizak who works for the Isle of Man government. He has a much more corporate approach and storied text approach to what he does. There's me, which does a little bit of everything. And there's Mark Kai who does a weekly news video. And that's the most of what he does. So every Sunday or so, he'll release a 10, five to 10 minute video. This is everything that happened this week. So, you know, different types of people in there. So as far as like how we track the analytics as well and things that are important to us, funnily enough, the vanity metric of how many engagements is often a vanity metric on every other platform. It's like how many likes you get, who cares? For, for me on LinkedIn, I find generally that actually matters more than any other platform with the caveat. As long as you are posting high quality content that has a purpose and it has information, then you can go off the likes. So if you're just posting, like you see, there was a good meme I saw. If if anyone wants to waste some time on a Twitter account, the state of LinkedIn on there is fantastic because they share a lot of the gutter type LinkedIn posts that come out where people will post one sentence paragraphs, they'll make up fake stories. And there was a post on there where it was like a a lady was was late to a job interview. She turned up and I wasn't going to give her the job, but then she was crying and then all you know, all of her family died that morning and she had to walk in the rain and you know, these fake stories. I gave her a job, everybody clapped, all that kind of stuff, right? So as long as it's not that kind of thing, if it's that high quality, actually engaging content, you can generally then go off how many likes and stuff you get. Another thing, if you want to be a B2B influencer support that I mentioned before is making sure you track what kinds of people and what companies 
are reading your post. By the way, you do all this with that premium. I canceled my premium. You don't need it. You can see what companies are viewing your post. So quite often my posts are viewed by Riot Games, EA, two massive publicly listed game developer companies. So if anyone wants to sell services to them, I mean, that's that's perfect. And you can also see what job titles that I mentioned too. And then we use a paid platform called Shield.ai. And that basically gives you all the stats that LinkedIn should give you for free, but they just don't. So it tells you, you know, how many, you can sort it out to say per four weeks, which is often what we look at. It'll tell you total amount of likes and then likes per post on average, total amount of shares, shares per post, comments, and then it'll show you some trends and things like that as well, engagement rates. And you can track that over that amount of time as well. Then we use that for our reporting. So so whenever we do a, a report for Satapulti, this is how well your sponsored posts went. We use Shield.ai to do that tracking in the back end as well. Do you use super metrics to bring like this data into your special system or any sort of APA game? Or are you like manually monitoring this on LinkedIn, any words on tooling? Yeah, Shield.ai is the only one we use. So it's it's like a metrics tracking platform. And we can also tag and compare posts. So what we've done too is we are able to tag, say, you know, should we keep doing videos, for example? How do they perform versus carousels? So if it takes me X amount of time to record a video and we only get Y amount of exposure and response to that, is it worth us keeping on doing that? And that's part of why we don't go as hard on podcasts anymore, for example, because we found for us in the end, they didn't perform anywhere near as well as carousels and shorter videos did. So then for us, you know, for our audience, we decided to go more that route instead. And sometimes we've picked up things, cancelled things entirely, done different styles, tried things more amateurish, but we're able to use shield.ai to, to track all that stuff. And it's pretty cheap. I think it was like 120 US for the year or something like that, maybe even less. So compared to, I don't know, pretty much anything else in business, it's, it's pretty cheap. <laughs> Sure is. Thanks for like explaining the tooling part of the equation as well. I don't know why, nice. but people just like, like to hide things that are working for them sometimes, but you have like a totally different vibe to that. Uh, mm. So that's great. And that probably makes you one of the people who just like stand out and shine. And you know what else stands out and shine? The gaming vertical. So last year it has grown for, I don't know, like 10, 20%, you tell me, <laughs> but that would be my guess since we were, everybody was at home and I lost my husband temporarily due to cyberpunk. I think I could write a LinkedIn <laughs> post about this. But yeah. anyways, so who are the companies that are like going to the space? Do you see any interesting collaborations down this line? Maybe like what's going on on LinkedIn and on the media that you are monitoring? How is this gaming phenomena relevant for our lives? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So obviously, you know, gaming saw massive growth over the COVID period. You know, people were stuck at home, they needed something to do. The the biggest growth sectors within that market were things like streaming services, like twitch.tv, where people watch people stream live, either a singular person or a tournament, just like you would on, you know, any any normal TV station or, you know, say the UFC app or NBA app or something like that. They'll watch an esports tournament on Twitch. Facebook has its own streaming service. YouTube has VODs, obviously, but they also have their own streaming service attached to channels too. Those kind of things saw massive growth. Gaming media as well saw huge growth. So, for example, Gamers Group, which is G-A-M-U-R-S, so gamers with a U. You know, Riyadh, who's a friend of mine, the CEO there, posted 
some huge growth numbers, like 150 to 300% across a few of their different platforms. They've got some gaming media, some esports media. So some a bit more casual, some a bit more hardcore. They saw massive growth across the realm there. Dexodo, who's another, they're a UK-based esports and influencer lifestyle type media company. They saw massive growth too across that market. There was a lot of attention as well into the space. You know, traditional sporting leagues weren't able to happen. I think the Formula One that was meant to happen in Melbourne here at Albert Park, that was the first event ever to be cancelled globally for COVID because I remember the calls, I was meant to go to some VIP lunch or something there and there were calls, it's on, it's, it's off, it's on, it's off. And then, you know, in the end it was cancelled, but that went online. So they're a group that ran the, not the OzGP online. Then after that, they ran not the Bahrain online. The V8 supercars here in Australia, another racing, like a V8 car circuit racing competition, they did leagues where literally every single one of their real life races played in a sim for a few, it was like three or four different rounds. So literally every single real life racer played in online and iRacing and things like that too. So there's a lot of attention. Obviously the whole esports market didn't win because there are a lot of live esports events. So the Melbourne Esports Open and Intel Extreme Masters here, Melbourne Esports Open sells between 10 to 15,000 tickets. The Intel Extreme Masters sells somewhere around 18 to 21,000 tickets. They were both canceled. So think about all of the cleaning companies Think about the travel companies, the brands that were wanting to do live activations, the pro players that couldn't play in that tournament to win the prize pools, you know, the HR staff that were managing, even the people that check the tickets at the door and do the cleaning and things like that too. That was all, obviously they, they lost. And the biggest winners out of it as a whole were the people who created the content, the YouTubers, the TikTokers, the people who were big on Instagram and things like that too. Even on LinkedIn, you know, we saw a massive hit at the start of COVID because I think everyone was scared they're going to lose their job. The last thing they want to do is, is be wasting time on LinkedIn. And then we saw a massive spike after that and they've ridden that spike ever since. It's when people feel invigorated, they're working from home, you know, they don't have travel times, they don't have commutes. So we find they're spending a little bit more time on LinkedIn as well. So yeah, definitely huge growth throughout the market. And, you know, our company, we saw a big dip at the start. Thankfully, the, the local government was very supportive here in both the state and the country in Australia. But then we've seen massive growth since then as, as companies have come back in wanting to spend money in, this, in the market. Oh my God, that's brilliant in a way of just like how this gaming field and esports field brings trends to other fields of life. So for example, as it comes to social media, I believe that like, all right, this Discord style thing is, or maybe in B2B environments, like no idea what the appropriate <laughs> recommendation would be. Uh, but there are a lot of things that are happening, such as streaming that are becoming, all right, they are normal for you for the last five or 10 years, but they're just like trends in B2B and the business environment. So if you could pinpoint a couple of things that SaaS founders or like B2B people and product makers could learn from gaming vertical and all the cool stuff that you are doing there, what would they be? I think number one would be how to create content. I think there was a good quote, and I really wish I remember who said this because I've used it so many times, which is within the next 10 years, every company will be a content creation company. Every single company creates content these days. From Uber, I mean, how many different ads have you seen from Uber that are content related? How many different ads from Netflix have you seen that are content related? You know, they're just market leaders because, you know, even Tesla, they're all market leaders because they're in that new, more millennial, Gen Z-esque space. But the other companies are going to be following there as well. They're going to be creating B2B content, B2C content. I think having a B2B voice is going to be something that becomes increasingly important as well. Even right down to the lowest employee on the rung getting everybody to start sharing some content because you become 
voice for yourself. No longer do you have to just do networking at drinks where you might feel as comfortable, especially if you're younger, you know, doing that kind of stuff. You can share data and information. And I feel perfectly comfortable, you know, as a 29-year-old or even even previously, you know, years ago when I started in the industry as a 20-year-old, engaging with older people in this space because I know I have the power and the influence that that I do with with the things that I do as well. So I think those are two. You know, those those are two things that people should definitely pay attention to, which is, you know, number one, learning how to create content, create better content. And then two, thinking more about the B2B space and utilizing LinkedIn. I mean, the organic reach on LinkedIn is is nuts right now. And it doesn't take a lot of effort. Like I said, it's just sharing articles. It's just posting, hey, I got this client. Some very basic graphics. You know, most of these big companies have graphical teams or can employ someone from Fiverr to create a basic template for you in Canva. And that's what I used to do at the start. You know, I got my my old graphic guy to create me a Canva template and I would drag and drop a logo of a company, change the text to Big Esports wins contract with Y company, post that up, done. Takes me 45 seconds in the morning to do that. Maybe a minute and a half if you type slow. Yeah, that's brilliant and like super encouraging, right? Because when you see those fancy designs with all the gaming characters on your post, I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm many things. Designer is not one of them. So yeah, it's just yeah. like... You very- can't do those... And that's a common question, actually. What template do you use for that? You can't. It's impossible to use a template for that. But you can create... There are iPhone apps that have carousel templates. So if you want to create the basic version of that, which you 100% can, you know, you're only going to see a 20 to 30% drop in viewership compared to creating the completely custom one, which means that, you know, just, just go and use the templates. It's better than nothing. It's way, way better than nothing. And using something very professional is not that much better by comparison compared to doing nothing. Also in terms of like investment and just like following this more lean, more agile philosophy, right? I wouldn't like to pay uh, pay like 200 bucks for a post that I have no idea it will land somewhere. I would rather just like stick a toe to a water first and then see whether I want to go all in or not. Anyways, <laughs> that yeah. was fun and super like encouraging for people to give it a shot and try this out. All righty. We are down to the very last part of the podcast, which is kind of a lightning round. And my sure. the question that I actually want to like shoot at you is what games are you playing at the moment? There's a casual game called Hades that I'm playing a lot. It's like a roguelike game, which is a game where you can receive permanent upgrades, but you know, dying within the game is expected. And part of it where you go back to the start, you have some permanent upgrades and then you keep completing along the story as you go. It's a what they call like a hack and slash style game. So it's often like a body count game. It's very cartoony. You know, you, you're killing a lot of enemies and they're all kind of um, like uh, underworld creatures and things like that too. So it's a, it's a top-down game. It's pretty casual. I don't really play anything competitive anymore because of that competitive spirit. If I get into something, I start getting into it too hardcore and then I get obsessed and I'm not, I'm over the days of being a pro gamer. I don't need that stress anymore. <laughs> oh, gosh. Chris, will we see you at Clubhouse? Yeah, I've been using it a little bit. I think it's a platform that is very easy to waste time on and you need to be quite mindful. I think something that I've tried to do in the past couple of years is go to as little conferences as possible. And I find that Clubhouse a lot of the time is just a conference. So you could just sit in conference after conference after conference all day, listening to people talk. And and like you said, you're busy, I'm busy too. And I like to listen to books and podcasts on one and a half times speed. And unfortunately, you can't listen to Clubhouse on one and a half times speed or more. Sometimes I listen to YouTube videos on two times speed, depending on how slow they talk. So I find that too. There, there are some, if you can find the good scheduled ones, 
they're always good to be a part of. So there's a, a weekly scheduled one that I'll attend probably every two to three weeks where I'm one of the panelists and it's like an esports newbie slash Q&A style thing as well. So there's a few different ones of us there that'll just answer questions. So people will come up from the bottom, they'll say, hey, you know, what trends are you guys watching? What do you guys think about fashion and gaming? Or, you know, hey, I want to get my first job in esports. I live in X or Y country. You know, what do you kind of suggest to me? Or I'm trying to reach Riot. You know, what's their process like for approving a community tournament? You know, we can help out with things like that too. So generally find that's good. And then we have some general discussion as well about like what trends we're watching and what we're working on and that kind of stuff too. So it's done pretty well. And I've got some people to add me on LinkedIn off that and potential work come through too. So just be okay. But I'll just be cautious. It seems like a really easy way to waste a lot of time. All right. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, I felt the same. Like it was the first time as I saw TikTok. It's like you were into it and then just said, what did I do for the last hour or so? Like it sucks you in. It's such a rabbit hole. And that's why just like by being responsible professionals, we should really curate our content and our influencers that we are following because like time is irreversible we do sound like parents <laughs> I, just, I just feel like um you know, i just feel Mental like a, advisory because like <laughs> i just do feel like a lot of the rooms are just like hanging out at the pub and i've been in there for 30 minutes being like i don't feel like i'm getting any value, any value this, yeah exactly but if the schedule and have a purpose you know I've, I've got real life friends that i go and hang out with at parties and stuff you know i don't need to do that in a semi-professional environment necessarily but i would say that if you're new to the industry get on there because you can network and you can chat with people over voice and it's much easier to win someone over with a voice than it is, you know, I think even in person or on LinkedIn as well, it's much easier to voice connect with people. Whoa, I've thought about this, but it's an interesting theory. Coolers. All right. So if we cannot stalk you on Clubhouse yet, where can our audience learn more about your work or even connect with you if they would like to discuss some opportunities, what are your go-to channels? Yeah, sure. So if you want to email directly, it's just Chris, so C-H-R-A-S at bigesports.gg. So instead of .com, it's .gg and a bit of insight. GG is a common thing said in video games at the end of a game and it means good game. And it's good manners to say GG. So whether you whether it was good game or not, you pretty much meant to say good game. It's just a polite thing like saying hello or shaking someone's hand. It's, it's exactly the same kind of thing. Or Twitter, I use that a little bit at Smithy Mayo, which is my last name with a Y plus my gamer name. Or just my LinkedIn URL is forward slash in forward slash Smithy Mayo as well. If you haven't set up a custom URL on LinkedIn and you want to, that's something that people say is, is quite an important thing to do. So it's um yeah something you should consider as well. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Chris, that was fun. Thank you so much for honesty, for your super insights into the industry. And I am looking forward to no keep worries. on stalking you on LinkedIn. And now I just found out some other channels. Thanks so much uh, for being with us and Gigi. <laughs> Gigi, thanks for having me. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks for listening to this episode. Hope you like it. We'll appreciate your feedback. Ciao.